Here we go again, folks. It's another episode of the Resonate Radio Podcast featuring Ryan Papetti, a data science consultant and a grad student in information science at the University of Arizona. He's also working for a handful of cannabis companies and helping them really utilize their data for good causes and help their customers. Ryan is also a data science intern at AI Camp, a web developer at Montana 3000, and a data engineer at Cooper State. His specialty is cluster analysis, and he explains some amazing things to us on this episode of the Resonate Radio podcast, especially regarding data on cannabis consumers and how they can be made aware of their data records and use these to their advantage when making choices about consumption habits. Connect with Ryan on LinkedIn, send him an email or visit his personal website to find out more about his amazing work in the cannabis data science space. We were also lucky enough to take some time, take some audience questions at the end. You can always take part in these conversations on Clubhouse. You can follow us live on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Instagram. Get at us at Team Resonate. Ryan, without further ado, man, introduce us to everybody. What is going on in this wonderful cannabis space for you? Absolutely. Sure. I'd love, I'd love to. So just to sort of set it up, make it clear for everyone. My name is Ryan Papetti. I'm from Arizona in the United States. I am technically self-employed. I work for multiple cannabis companies, though. Uh, one of the cannabis companies that I work for that I've done my most work for is called Forefront Advisors or Forefront Ventures. And they're mostly on the East Coast. And the other one is Copper State Farms. Uh, in Arizona and also has some outreaches other places but you know even though I work for these different companies I'm self-employed what I really do is I'm a I call it a mathematician by heart but data scientist by trade what I love to do is I love to solve problems using um, uh, data science techniques and fancy analysis that allows me to essentially leverage existing data that a company may have and gather insights from it that would otherwise be impossible if you were to just go scrape through hundreds of Excel files or thousands of web pages. So you can sort of think of me as like a person who's automating these mundane processes that turn uh, boring analysis into important insights for companies. That's one of the main things I do. Uh, I also have experience building uh, what are called applications on the cloud for certain cannabis companies. You know, imagine you were wanting to take your data from all these different grow rooms and production facilities and also your retail and tie them all in one single spot for you to do analysis. Uh, It's called data warehousing. And that's one of the things that I also specialize in for some businesses. But as you can kind of see, I touch on a lot of things, um, but it's mostly just because I'm sort of taking what's available to me. Um, but I'd love to talk to anyone about, you know, any of these things, both in, you know, terms of the cannabis industry and outside of it. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate it. This is going to be a fun episode, I believe. <laughs> what, uh, you know, since you're kind of all over the place, do you kind of, let's nail something down here. What's kind of, what's your favorite project that you're working on uh, inside of the industry right now? My favorite project that I've done in the cannabis industry and that I'm still doing is what's called customer segmentation analysis. What I've done for 
Forefront Ventures is I've taken data from their point of sale system that is normally just boring transaction data. You know, Ryan Papetti purchased a gram of Blue Dream on this day at this time at this price. Well, what I'm doing is I'm taking all millions, literally millions of those records, and I am aggregating them, transforming them into data that I can be based that can be based on the consumer instead of the transaction or the transaction item itself. Now, what does that mean? I build all these data points. I build all these variables that are associated with each customer. And then I take all, you know, several thousand customers or whatever that meet the run a clustering algorithm on them. I use a few different kinds of algorithms that I'd be happy to explain, but essentially I run these uh, machine learning clustering algorithms on them. I perform some meta-analysis and choose the proper number of clusters or groups that I think that that clustering has yielded. And what will happen is then I will end up with, you know, five or six groups of customers that have been clustered using this segmentation algorithm that instead of just focusing on variables like frequency, how often they come, monetary, how much they spend, and uh, recency when the last time they came there, I can focus not just on those things, but on how much of their purchases are devoted to flower products versus edible products versus pre-rolls versus concentrates. And what this all does is it gives the company an ability to form marketing segments that are precise, that use their own data, and that are essentially customizable to however you'd like to you know, run the algorithm. And so I, I've been working on this since 2019. I have actually, it was my uh, undergraduate thesis so I can, you know, potentially link that, you know, somewhere. But my undergraduate thesis that's published online is customer segmentation analysis of cannabis retail data. And so I have spent, you know, uh, several years doing it. I've changed algorithms. I've changed kinds of data. It's been a wonderful experience. But for all, you know, for people out there that aren't super interested in what algorithms are or data and everything like that, just imagine you had the ability to, instead of sending one message to a thousand customers that maybe has a tw 10 or 20% response rate, you can send one message to each customer. But if you split it into five different kinds of messages for five groups, where each group has a 50% or a 60% response, all of a sudden you've tripled the amount of response that you've gotten from your message, all just by segmenting who you're talking to. So. Segmentation analysis is a way for you to break up a big group into smaller chunks that each have their own, you know, merits and things like that. Okay, cool. I think one of the big things is always, you know, security of data, um, centralization, decentralization, you know, uh, you know, where is this data? Do you kind of want to go into that a little bit for us and, you know, kind of the, the power struggle <laughs> that we're having for the ownership of, you know, data like this? Absolutely. You know, as a, I'm a big proponent in sort of data centralization within one company or one small group of companies that essentially they can share data in one spot or they aggregate their data from all these different sources into the one spot. What I'm a lot less of a fan of is data centralization at like a federal or state level scale. And so what happens is these point of sale systems or some of these, um, big uh, data companies in the industry that have contracted with several dispensaries such as BDS Analytics or uh, Trees or some of these other kinds of point of sale slash analytics platforms, what happens is they end up aggregating huge amounts of data. And 
as a data scientist, I guess that's just what happens. It's a consequence of having all these contracts, but it begs certain questions of who is handling the data and who decides when they just get to turn the key to look at the data or not look at the data. And so one thing that I actually see is a disadvantage of a lot of data collection is that it is not in the hands of the consumers. The biggest thing is that we have been, you know, people have been buying cannabis for millennia, you know, and been farming it and, and things like that. It's not brand new, but the concept of a dispensary is pretty new. And so therefore the concept of having transactions of people when they went to the dispensary is pretty new. And at first there was a lot of pushback of even having mandatory, you know, checking of people in a medical market because some people were afraid that their information would be leaked or certain things like that, which are totally viable uh, fears and totally uh, worthy things to think and believe. But the biggest thing is that, you know, these dispensaries have access to a lot of information, not necessarily about you as a person, but you as a cannabis person, you as a cannabis consumer. And what my one of the things that I'm trying to work for is I, I have no problem if the business knows that about me or knows that about you, as long as I know it about myself. And I know it about myself almost as well as you, you can do that. At any time, I can request you know my transaction history or things like that. So a disadvantage I actually see, just to sum up everything I said, which was kind of all these different little parts, uh, a disadvantage is that the data is not in the hands of the consumers. And that's going to require a big shift, both at the consumer level and the retail level, to sort of put the power back in our hands. And I'm not sure how that will happen or how long it will take, but I think it's a necessary move for the industry moving forward. Uh, just because, you know, think of, uh, you know, there's tons of people in the United States that are in the medicinal cannabis markets that purchase specific kinds of cannabis to help them with certain ailments and certain things like that. What would be really beneficial is if they had an ability to aggregate all their purchases across a lot of these stores for them to, you know, be able to decide, yeah, this is what really worked or this kind of harvest worked or this kind of company is the one that's supplying what I need. That information is there, technically exists, but an engineer needs to sit down and write it and spend the time and money, all that stuff. So, um, you know, we're a while ways from there, but we will get there one day, I'm sure. And, uh, and there's a lot of great people working really hard behind the scenes. So just for the, you know, layman's term of it there, you kind of mentioned the safety and data and stuff like that. And obviously <laughs> we can't help but bring up that, you know, yeah. talk about another stigmatized word, but blockchain, uh, you know, some people might leave Clubhouse right away as soon as I mentioned that word, but I promise everybody there's a question to it. So is that where the blockchain comes in, Ryan? Are you able to kind of speak about that a little bit um, with the kind of the safety of data? Uh, you know, I know that's a pretty hot buzzword right now. So I wanted to see if that's where we're kind of inserting it in the discussion. If you can talk on it, if not, that's totally cool. But I figured that this might be the time to kind of bring up that whole, you know, data security and the hot blockchain word. And uh, yeah, brother. Yeah. So, you know, blockchains are super hot right now and I'm not a, a, a blockchain expert, but what I can do tell you is that um, blockchains provide a lot of potential for data security and most importantly, transparency. One of the biggest things in the industry right now, aside from data security, there's also data transparency where it needs to be transparent. Um, some some companies have literally, uh, are almost, I shouldn't say literally, have virtually unrestricted access to certain kinds of uh, B2B business-to-business data or data from one supplier to another that has, in, you know, 
very important news about the industry or about markets or things like that that sort of deserves to be transparent in a little bit more of a way. And so blockchain is one way to not only verify transactions and make it, you know, available to where anyone can see what's been happening, but blockchains would also be a good way for consumers and dispensaries if each dispenser had their own blockchain or something to where people could see histories of purchases and perform analyses and things like that. Uh, that's unfortunately probably the most I could speak to how blockchain would work for the industry and, and for things like that. But I do know that some people on Clubhouse have been talking really intelligently about it, specifically as it relates to cannabis. And I wonder how um, how far along either they are in the technology or how far we are away from um, just adoption of blockchain to make it work. Because, um, you know, there are lots of ways to set up blockchain. You can um, technically do it on some cloud services such as Amazon Web Services or AWS. But it's uh, it's difficult. It requires a, you know, a, a true engineer or someone who's fully committed to the idea to do. So um, I, I do wonder how advanced data topics like blockchain, like cryptocurrency, like, um, you know, other kinds of security, uh, serverless computation, for example, how that all fits into the cannabis industry. But we're a tiny bit of a ways away from some of those things, at least. But yeah, no, I appreciate it, brother. I really think uh, I think that's perfect. I'd I know if you go kind of down the, like I said, down the, the dungeons of that stuff, you might lose a few people. So I think at a really high level, uh, pun intended, uh, that was a perfect kind of uh, bow on it. I really appreciate that, Ryan. Um, and I think it's a good segue too. I mean, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the examples um, instead of kind of going down like a tinfoil hat uh, direction where people are like, oh my God, my data. Um, so can we talk about some like specific examples um, you know, you've spoken about your project, your thesis that you did, right? You're speaking specifically about data points and dispensaries. So are you able to kind of share, you know, what some of those specific data points are so people aren't, you know, they're tracking where I live when I make my dispensary purchases or maybe are they? Um, you know, let's kind of maybe if we can clear some of that stuff up, I think might be really important because, you know, again, data has been such a big thing uh, for everybody, uh, you know. All of a sudden, you know, people I don't think realize how crazy it was just to have Facebook logged in on their phone. And I think that's really kind of turned everybody's tide, right? Uh, especially in North America anyways. I know in the European Union, you guys have some pretty cool GDPR protections that are different, you know, than North America. So, you know, things happen a little bit differently between the two sides. And I think that's also important to acknowledge with data is that there are different laws in place here. Um, in both markets that are listening to the show in particular. So, um, you know, even addressing that, are there also some examples of the data that you're using in the United States that maybe you might not be able to use those data points in the European Union without maybe some explicit permissions from dispensary patients? Um, yeah, I got into a crate. Talk about going into rabbit holes about data. I was going down this one, you know, geeking out on you and looking up what you're doing a little bit. And after we chatted, and uh, you know, because I had a little bit of retail experience here dispensaries and i was like holy shit you can really this could get out of control so yeah i'd love to hear hear your, your thoughts on that of course um when i wrote my thesis back in 2019 i used one demographic feature and it was the customer's age i decided i wanted to use it because the dispensary was specifically interested in performing some sort of segmentation around age Nowadays, I don't use any demographic information. What does that mean? I don't 
in terms of what analysis is being done, whatever algorithm that Ryan Papetti has written, it has no idea where you live. It has no idea what your phone number is. It has no idea what your sex is. It has no idea even what your name is. All it knows is you have some transaction or some customer ID that the point of sale system assigns to you. It's totally random, you know, 9BC32AC, you know, all these random letters and numbers together. And even though there is a way I could take that ID and do a lookup in the point of sale raw system and say, yeah, this is Ryan Papetti. The actual algorithms and the analysis and the clustering and everything that's being done doesn't actually know who you are. Now that's cool in some sense in that, hey, it's not using personal information about me. I can feel comfortable that my age is not being used anymore. My sex is not being used or my gender, my zip code. Um, another thing that people have unfortunately used to market to cannabis consumers that I am straying far away from is perceived income level, sort of based on zip code and things like that. So using all of these demographic features, I'm trying to throw them out the window. I threw them out the window because I'm a firm believer in that those don't define how you consume cannabis, period. I, I, I just, I have not in my lifetime seen that those things decide how you consume it. There are people who are severely chronically ill that have, you know, that are huge cannabis consumers, just as someone who is a professional engineer somewhere. So it's, you know, they consume the same kinds of cannabis as well sometimes. So it's very difficult for someone to look at someone, where they live, how they look like, how they walk into the store or show up in a car or a bus or whatever and say, yeah, this is how I'm going to sell to you. Really, all I'd like to look at is how have you purchased in the past, period. That's all I care about. Now, presents a couple of issues. You got to get enough data to be able to look at the past. And specifically, I use three transactions. So you got to show up at least three times to be eligible for this algorithm. But you'll find that once people show up three times, things start to form about them. They start to buy pre-rolls a lot, 80% of the time, or, you know, they go in and they buy one gram and eight pre-rolls and papers, or they start to buy only concentrates all three times. Well, I'm not going to advertise flour to them next time they come into the store. Or um, lots of people will just only buy bulk flour. Hey, I'm going to come buy the two, two and a half ounces on my allotment, and then in a month or in two months, I'm going to come back and buy the two and a half ounces on my allotment and just sort of keep keep doing that. So what happens is we start to get cool patterns about people that are just about how they buy stuff. I know nothing about you outside of the store, but once you come into the store, we can start to jive a little bit. We can start to play a little bit of a data game. And I think that these ideas are really important because consumers deserve transparency about what they're purchasing, but they also deserve tons of privacy. And companies all over the world, so it's this is not a cannabis thing at all, but Big data companies love to use features like your gender and uh, your you know, zip code and as many data points they can collect about you because they use way more sophisticated algorithms and machine learning than I do for this stuff. But one of the reasons why they collect all those data is because they think it makes these algorithms perform better to give them more precise marketing, to sell you more ads, to show you the right um, menus whenever you search you know, food near me or whatever, it all works together behind the scenes. But in terms of cannabis, since this is not really done at a, that big of a scale, it presents us a unique opportunity to think about how we can put consumers first. 
And as a data scientist, as a data engineer, the way that I'm trying to put consumers first is by saying all these features that people have been collecting about you and all these kinds of companies and stuff, I am not going to consider at all. I'm just going to consider only the things that show up on a receipt. Basically, if I could just scan all of your receipts, that's all I care about. Um, I don't care where you live. I don't care. You know, of course I do, but not necessarily for the algorithm or, or anything like that. So uh, I've been babbling a lot. But um, that's, that's kind of one of the big things that I, I see as an issue and as well as something to think about. Yeah, no, man, I, uh, I appreciate the babble, to be honest with you. I think there's some really important things that you've covered there. The one thing that kind of made me nervous, because I still want to dip into, you know, some of these data points for Europe, um, if some of those would change, I don't want to kind of put that aside. So I'm going to make sure that I, you know, continue to bookmark that. But my, you know, main question is a little bit of a concern. So, uh, you know, in this data, there's purchases that are being made. And so, you know, you take that data, you're aggregating it, et cetera, et cetera. Good idea on the front side. One of the potential issues that I see is, you know, from the Canadian market with what's happening up here is that, I mean, the education is not happening at the dispensary level. So there's different purchases that are being made. And so, you know, <laughs> I say this because I've had, you know, very interesting discussions as a cultivator with operators of dispensaries now. And I talk to them about talking about terpenes and starting to push that narrative. And they go, oh, well, well we're not ready for that yet. And so... Yeah. And so it's good, uh, you know, for people that aren't seeing this here, there's a video feed that we've got in the background. And, you know, Ryan just gave me a really strange look. And I agree with you, my friend. It's, you know, what they really, it's a weird kind of position. So for me, how I see this data connecting as a cultivator is like, I would love to see these, you know, purchase data so I can stock my rooms and kind of have this nice kind of synergistic circle uh, and provide products. However, if people are making these purchases in a kind of a misinformed state, then the data set becomes, you know, something that you probably don't want either as, as someone who's gathering this data and getting these conclusions. So, um, you know, that's what's happening here in Canada. I don't know if you, you know, potentially saw this happening in the United States with that data, but, you know, this could possibly be a disadvantage, I guess, maybe of taking some of this data. Can you, you know, maybe expand on that and then kind of see maybe some of the other disadvantages is or, maybe with that problem, how we can kind of, you know, change the way we take data to make sure that our cultivators are properly informed that, you know, we're actually not doing ourselves a disservice by taking some of this data. Cause I know that there's some producers that have some crazy fire sitting on their vaults, but they don't want to put it out yet because the market hasn't dictated it yet. And so it's a really like it's a tricky situation. So I'm really I'm interested to hear that from you and kind of see, you know, again, you know, not trying to be tinfoil like disadvantages, but I really want to see data being used in a good way because, you know, we've talked offline. I have a little bit of background in data science and understanding how it really works and the value is there. Um, but, you know, with our particular example here, it could be a problem. So. Well, that's actually a great question to, to, to bring up the concept of is this data? OK, so this data exists, but is it actually good data? And in which case, if it's bad data, it doesn't matter what algorithm I use or whatever I come up with. It's not going to be good. Uh, you know, good data is a good algorithm and good result. So here, here's my answer. In the United States, I can only really speak to Arizona, so I'll just even narrow it down. In Arizona, when you first make a purchase at a dispensary, Usually every dispensary as a medical patient or as a medical patient is supposed to offer you educational materials. Now, I don't, 
I took them a long time ago. I'm sure they've been updated numerous times, but essentially it gave you all the different ways that cannabis can be consumed. Um, which one would we make it, you know, which one gives you the, the high, the fastest warning about edibles, basically it, it provided very, you know, nominal education. So there, there's some there. Another level of education is knowing what actually the products are. So the strains or the product types that are being sold. There is massive inconsistency, I'm sure, as you find in Canada or in Europe or wherever. And as anyone who's been a legacy cannabis consumer forever, you don't really know what you're going to get a lot of times. And so even at dispensaries where there is consistency, a lot more consistency in uh, you know, some branding and some product types, particularly more with edibles and vapes and things like that. Well, what happened is there will be huge harvests of certain strains of flour that one of the very few, uh, you know, cultivators in the state or in the small market is, is sending out. And then once all that flour is gone, it's not like it comes back immediately, sort of like if you went to the store and bought all the you know, Marlboros or the bottles of Patron, they would probably show back up pretty fast, but that doesn't really happen with specific strains. And that presents a problem on two fronts. There's an obvious problem where, hey, I found this strain extremely helps my depression or extremely helps my fibromyalgia, and all of a sudden it's not available for two years. Okay, it's not very useful. The second thing is if you find people really like that kinds of things and then they want to go back to the store to buy something similar, and it's not there, they might end up buying something totally different again. And so what that does is these kinds of problems and this sort of inconsistency of you don't know what's at the store when you buy it sometimes, it presents an actually incredible issue for the level of data science that you can go down in the consumer. So the amount of variables that you can drill down into. So I mentioned that some of my variables that I use for my segmentation are things like the proportion of all the products that you purchase that are flower products, that are edible products, that are vape products, that are concentrate products. And what I could very much easily do is I could, if the data were there and I trusted it, which I currently really don't, is say, okay, um, I could split the flower into sativa, indica, and hybrid uh, and CBD. And then I could split the vape into the same thing. Or I could even split it everything up by brand, you know, select vape. Um, you know, good things coming, edibles, all, all those sorts of kind of things. But what we'll find is because the supply chain is not 100% there in terms of interstate commerce, in terms of easy uh, transactions between businesses to get products there really quickly, because it's not really there, it's very hard to rely on that data, at that level of data for certain things. And what's happening now is some in Arizona, there's mandatory testing that was supposed to be imposed on products. And so what's happening is there's a lot more data now, not just for the consumers, but for also everyone else about what kinds of flour are in the market in terms of not just a THC level, but some CBD level. And um, some places have terpene content, but not everyone does. So um, it's just the, you know, th there's an issue of data uniformity and standardization that needs to happen. But I sort of think that's an afterthought until we can have like a federal legalization, at least in the United States, or have a nice supply chain. Um, my, my biggest issue right now is the difficulty in having these really nice brands in California or Colorado or Nevada or places that are very adjacent to, you know, Arizona, but they can't send product over. Or it's very difficult for them to 
you know, set up their own brands and products and stuff like that here. Yeah, hundred percent. You guys have some challenges down there. I'm interesting, interested to see how it's going to unwind for y'all. Uh, I wanted to just again, you know, have that bookmark in there. Is you know, for you, it's actually a, a, impressive. The I guess lack of uh, demographic stuff that you use, I guess, like really having that objective data set. So is there, you know, do you see any of the challenges of the things that you're doing over in Europe as far as their protections? Do you see any of those issues at all? So I think the biggest thing is that I would, you know, if it were up to me, if I ran the entire cannabis industry, which I don't, but if I, if I did, I would, uh, I would make all data opt-in. And so one of the things that I would do, at least on a consumer level, and so if you wanted uh, certain data collected about you, you could, uh, you know, mark that, yes, I would like to be used in a, you know, in a marketing algorithm or however it's worded or something like that. Now, I think that at the end of the day, the store owns the receipt, whatever comes out the receipt and, you know, certain stuff like that. But Europe is really at the forefront of deciding not just what kinds of data are collected, but how they can be used. And so one of the things that I think will be answered probably in the next 10 years definitively, but probably not before then, is how certain kinds of algorithms or services can use your data. So your data will be collected pretty much regardless just because of the nature of all the things. You know, right now you're making the purchase on your computer or stuff like that, but the store can't actually use your data for a legit analysis. Either what will happen is if it just tries to pull your data, it will automatically fill it in with random values or like the average value for everything. Um, but basically it will disincentivize the company from trying to, you know, furthermore to use their data. Now you can opt into it eventually. And I've seen businesses come up with interesting ways, sort of like uh, in the beginning on Leafly dispensaries would say, Hey, if you leave me a nice comment and you show me that you leave a nice comment, I'll give you a free pre-roll or I'll give you a free gram. Uh, you know, something like that. And I can imagine dispensaries saying, hey, I'll give you a free pre-roll if you let us uh, sign up for this marketing thing that will also save you certain amounts of you know, money or whatever. I think what it'll actually do is it will, and this is good, it will force the cannabis industry to innovate its marketing, which is actually its next biggest step of innovation. Because what's going to happen is people are going to realize they can just start going to other places. They can maybe start eventually ordering it to their door. There's going to be a lot less of an incentive for someone to form a really strong loyalty to a brand unless that brand is doing something for them. And data science and you know data marketing prevents, presents insane opportunities for the businesses to market towards consumers. But if they also look at it, it presents a lot of opportunities for those same businesses to rethink how they are reaching these people to rethink if these are even the right people to reach or if these are even the right messages. And while I'm not necessarily a 100 believer in a 100% data driven company, if you have, you know, 95, 99% of a lot of these decisions, you know, using data and then you just have someone there verifying it and sort of catching it one more time, you can go really far and just constantly innovate how you're interacting with people. Um, and the biggest limitation is not, I think necessarily the technology, uh, or even necessarily the data, it's sort of your your ability to sort of think outside the box. And you know, every day there are marketing restrictions and advertising restrictions set on cannabis companies. You can't show the leaf, you can't show any buds, you can't show someone smoking, you can't show uh, or mention that you know people are getting high. You can't put it anywhere near here. 
and you know any of these kinds of places and all these are restrictions these are all burdens in their own ways but they're also opportunities for creativity they're also opportunities to show how powerful how creative how intelligent the people in the cannabis industry really are which unfortunately is something that gets thrown out the window all of the time that we're sort of just uh you know people doing something that's not really worthy or things like that Of course. So I've, uh, I'll mention some of my clustering results. Um, so usually what I found is a lot of dispensaries don't have more than eight kinds of unique customers, or I shouldn't say that, eight clusters. And so what happens is when I take all of these, uh, sorry, I was a bad bad missed that eight, eight clusters. When we look at all of these clusters, after I, uh, run the algorithm using all these variables that I mentioned earlier, a lot of the clusters are actually some groups repeated twice or a few times. So there's, you find that there are a few different kinds of flower consumers. One of them comes every single week, only spends about 50 bucks, but comes a lot. Like they, they came recently, they come a lot, they don't spend a lot of money. But then there's also people that spend just as much as their purchases in flower. So the same proportion, same sort of data, but they come once a month, but purchase three times as much four times as much. And so you're like already like, oh, yeah, they purchase essentially the same kinds of things. They might even purchase, if you were to go do even deeper analysis, the same kinds of flower, but they come at such different times. And so the ways that you would talk to them and the ways you would interact with them or even talk to them or interact with them in the store is way different than you would interact with the person that's coming every week or all the time. And it's, in addition to having you know usually eight kinds of unique clusters where some of these things repeat a few times, there are really not enough unique concentrate consumers to form large clusters in the markets that I've studied. And that's not necessarily that there aren't concentrate consumers. I know there are, and I know there are because I am one because I've talked to tons of them. But I think what happens is a lot of the big, big concentrate consumers are also technically uh, people that are very involved in the industry. And so what will happen is they will hop around to lots of different dispensaries and try different concentrates all the time, uh, rather than getting specifically with one store and trying a lot of concentrates. Now it's not saying that when I've ran my algorithm, I've never had a concentrate cluster, but what I'll find is that usually they're an accessory to another flower cluster, or it's usually another vape cluster is what happens. You'll have vapes and concentrates and also edibles and concentrates are pretty well paired together, which is something that I think is 
perhaps unintuitive at first, but something that shows up, you know, a decent amount when I do this, I'm constantly like, oh, flour is the most common thing, but then vape and edible are right next to each other. Um, so there's a constant uh, association with those things. Of course, if you are interested in any data science, data engineering, or any kind of programming work, the best place to reach me is business at ryanpapetti.com. Uh, it's uh, my professional email. You can also reach me at ryanpapetti.com. Uh, it's my official website as well. Um, if you are interested in learning more about things that I'm doing, both inside and outside the industry, I'll be posting a lot more data science uh, and sort of kind of retail cannabis thing content, some on LinkedIn, some on Clubhouse, uh, and perhaps some on both the uh, the LinkedIn should be in my bio. The uh, Instagram is definitely in my bio. And then everything else you can find me um, just kind of wherever uh, a lot of people are found. And maybe uh, maybe some data content for our uh, Telegram yeah, channel. Yeah. yeah. Possibly <laughs> cannabis maker Telegram that'd channel be cool. content. I would, yeah, uh, brother. I'd love to see how I can maybe do something with that. Uh, that'd be pretty difficult. For, for sure. Hell yeah, man. That's what the community's <laughs> for, brother. That's what it's for. Sweet. Um, well, first of all, thank you to all y'all for, for hosting me. Um, I'd be happy to take, I don't, I don't know if y'all have to go. I'm happy to take some questions, um, you know, on Clubhouse. So if anyone has yeah. any questions, I guess just uh, raise your hand and see if you want to to ask something but thank you to Corey. uh thank you all you for hosting and i uh, i'll be happy to answer any questions that people might have both about data science and the cannabis industry or yeah. just kind of whatever i've gone ahead and activated the raise hands there i disabled it during our chat but everything is open uh, if anybody has any questions uh, we can hang out for a little bit yeah ryan much love brother thank you for taking uh, the time today the data thing is definitely something that uh, you know wanted to cover at a high level and we'll have to have you back again uh you know maybe talking about some specific applications for transitioning into cultivation because i uh yeah i have a group of some growers that would probably love to uh be on a panel with you and kind of chat about some of the things that we have to deal with so, what's up laura how's it going hey hello hello and uh, congratulations on this podcast uh really interesting points ryan um I am located in Toronto, uh, in Canada, and uh, I am a cannabis educator. And your your data points were really interesting, especially since we're looking at least in the province of Ontario, where we have massive regulations over the marketing of cannabis products, even in a legal framework. And I think it's uh, the way that you, you posted without any of the demographic information I thought was really fascinating. So my question, I guess, is like, how how does the cannabis industry expand uh, it, its marketing reach through a program like yours if we're in such a restricted market? Great question. I think the number one way that businesses, whether it's a marketing company, you know, helping dispensaries or whether it's a dispensary brand on their own, is going to increase their marketing outreach is through, um, yeah. I'm a big believer, and this is because I've been working with 
this kinds of data and this kinds of data science that you need to look inwards before you look outwards. And I think what happens is a lot of people want to look outwards and see how the world is doing before they look inward and assess how they're going to operate. I think when it comes to data, data science and the things that I'm doing, what I really try to push is look inward first about who you are before and what kind of data you have before you start to blossom outward. And so what I recommend to lots of businesses is take your take your take as much data as you can, you know, that's related to your operations or things that you're going to be working with directly and see what is working really well. Is it a specific kind of campaign or message or set of pictures or is it is it trying to be fun? Like, is it humor? Is it seriousness? Is it being laid back? Like assessing all these different kinds of tones and things like that as well uh, can go a really long way. So I know it's really difficult in terms of talking about advertising or marketing at a big scale. And when it comes to getting new customers, because that's a totally different sort of challenge. And that's more in the realm of branding, which is something that I personally have a lot less experience in. But um, in terms of maximizing your uh, ability to have your existing customers or your existing fans or your existing you know, base come back and constantly generate your revenue, that's where I really believe you got to look inwards uh, with your own data before you start to stretch out and looking at bigger level data sets provided by things like Nielsen or um, other kinds of uh, sources. But to sort of go all the way back to the original question, which is, you know, how do you navigate these restrictions and what would you recommend to someone who's faced with all of these is, is if you have data that you can look at, that you can assess the, any in any direction of, hey, this works well or this didn't, I would go pay attention to that, you know, absolutely first. But um, the next thing is to come up with a, I think a tone can go a long way in terms of successful marketing versus not. And one of the reasons why I think that is because there are so much restrictions on what kinds of things that you can physically show, whether it's in a video or a picture, or even the things that you can talk about, you're, you're left with a lot less of a of room to say, hey, come to the store, we've got really nice product, or hey, we have um, you know, really good vapes or edibles here. And you got to sort of think of branding in a totally different um, context and, and stuff like that. I know I kind of went around the world there, but I hope I answered your question. Oh, sorry. I, um, I, I was uh, also taking notes and, and really thinking about it just because, you know, so much of the, the cannabis marketing data is, I think, completely inaccurate uh if if the deloitte uh debacle was anything to go by i don't know if you're familiar with that but uh deloitte uh published a cannabis uh market paper and it was just found out to be just you know they were pulling numbers out of their asses really and, and for for a large company like deloitte I, it, it made me very skeptical uh, uh around data collection and plus like i'm a really old person compared to you guys like i have 20 years on you guys and like this just this whole idea of data mining and all of this stuff is still like uh really new to me and uh you know every time you open your mouth is i'm learning something so i i definitely appreciate your response thank you that's thank you for the nice words and i'm, I'm happy to help anytime 
Um, I understand that data science is not just something that's scary for, uh, you know, you know, a lot. It's scary for a lot of people. It's scary even for young people, and it's a, uh, it's something that I think sits at a very awkward intersection of modern science and technology and math, um, which are all kinds of things that people naturally are, uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's not naturally super uh, fun to understand. So I, I totally get that, and I'm happy to help alleviate any of those concerns or fears in any way does it i wonder if anyone else has has any questions or anything else but if not i guess i could close off with a sort of like a nice little i think it was liam that brought up the metaverse thing one of the things that i uh that i've been thinking about is sort of i see as the uh, huge moonshot project in the industry uh that has lots of potential once certain kinds of robotics get there is to essentially have an indoor grow facility where each plot of that indoor facility, you could set it up into you know certain uh, sectors. Each one of those sectors would be owned by an individual person. The individual person would be a can like a medical cannabis patient that requires specific kinds of or has specifically grown cannabis, uh, you know, with a specific kind of strain that has specific kinds of terpenes that as you know, certain kinds of reactions to it, or, and I know all this stuff is very hard to predict, but imagine you were a, a medical cannabis patient that suffered from a serious chronic illness, such as fibromyalgia, and you needed access to a specific kind of cannabis that would produce a certain kind of, uh, you know, reaction for you. And you've tried all these kinds of cannabis at all these dispensaries, but nothing's just worked. Well, one thing that if you could find one cannabis uh, strain that worked or profile that worked, you could find a seed and essentially this plot a sector of land will uh, plot the seed for you. And then from seed until it's ready to harvest, someone will come once a week and check it out, but it would mostly be AI driven. There would be sensors and cameras all over the grow tent that would check if mold were growing or if it were diseased or if it had a nutrient deficiency the fertigation system that sends water and nutrients uh, and also controls the lights is all controlled by the same artificial intelligence system that will feed it the exact amount of nutrients that it would need, uh, you know, to produce the kind of end result that the consumer wants. But all these things that kind of happen require extremely digitized interactions, not just between people and the, the robotics themselves, but also people and the plants themselves. And in order to be able to have that specific kind of data, that specific kind of dream, what we need in the industry are standards and how we collect data, which have been improved a little bit in terms of how we collect data about the plants, but we also need improved education to consumers about the different kinds of data involved with the cannabis plant. That includes things like terpenes, that includes uh, straying people away from buying only the highest THC product. And these are all things that are ongoing right now, but they're all very much connected together because once these problems are solved, I think when we look at the industry at large, it starts to become less of a, what can we do and what can't we do to, to mention. And if anyone else has questions, I would uh, love to, to answer them. But, uh, you know, like I said, thank you everyone for asking questions. Thank you for hosting this. This is going to be a a great episode. I can't wait to, to hear it again.
And there you have it, everybody. Another episode of the Resonate Radio podcast. Thank you so much for making it all the way through to the end. We appreciate the downloads, the follows. Leave us a review if you're listening to us on the Apple podcast. Please subscribe and hit the bell over on YouTube and Twitch. You can find us over there at Resonate Media. You can also find us on Instagram at Team Resonate. You can also send us an email to info at ResonateCannabis.com. I hope you all have a wonderful day and thank you so much again for taking the time to listen to us here on Resonate Radio. We'll see you again next time. Thank you.